and more chili, I'm okay with that. But uh, there are sign-ups too for dessert. If you want to sign your name to making a dessert or a side dish, like, you know, whatever you want to bring, some rolls, you know. Yeah, kind of, it's not, I think somebody, uh, Kathy was going to make cornbread for it. So, so there you go. So if you guys can, uh, that way, you know, when we do these kind of potlucks, which we're looking at doing each week, we're going to have, a, there's also a sign-up sheet for next week's deal. So the church is providing chicken this week. Next week, I believe we're doing a pasta uh, background. So you can bring spaghetti, I think is what we were thinking, or, um, you know, some kind of a pasta dish. If you'd like to sign up for next week, we get three people that do the main dish, and then other people can just do some sides and stuff. That way we don't feel like everybody feels like they all have to do a, a main dish every week or and a dessert. You know, just one little thing. Do your part, and we'll all enjoy uh, um, enjoy fellowshipping between services and having lunch together and growing closer as a family. And, and then having afternoon services rather than evening services so we're not pulling everyone out at night in the cold and uh, dodging deer and elk. So, um, so because I know one thing, I can't afford to hit an elk, all right? So, um, and I know and none of us, I think, can. So, uh, also, Wednesday, Wednesday morning, uh, we are, uh, my wife would like, we're going to be up here into Wednesday this week. We're staying, we'll be here through into Wednesday morning. My wife wants to do some decorating. We thought any of the ladies who would like to come and help decorate, put the Christmas tree up and start preparing. I realize that Thanksgiving won't have been here yet, but it will have passed by the time we come back. So uh, we figure if we're going through the trouble of putting up those decorations, we might as well enjoy them for a little while. So uh, if anybody would be interested in coming out looking for volunteers to help uh, to decorate the sanctuary and the fellowship hall and prepare it for Christmas. Um, okay, I jumped ahead on the potluck services there. Uh, also, um, we have directories, do we not? Do we have some directories? Okay, good. There's directories in the back. Um, it should be more up to date. Jackie went ahead and updated them for us. If you see anything wrong in it, this is a, there's no pictures in this or anything. This is kind of a rough draft. If you see anything wrong or anything that needs to be added, what we would like if if there's only one phone number, but you have two cell phones in the family, please, I, I would like to know uh, the husband and the wife's phone numbers. That would be great for reaching out to you guys. Um, we are in there. A lot of you don't have my phone number, and I really want you to have it. Uh, because the idea is, uh, please, so take a directory, check your information, make sure everything's up to date. If there's anything wrong, make marks in it and, and let Jackie know, and we'll get it all up to date before we do a nicer one with the pictures in it and everything but we want to get it more up to date. And I really want you guys to have my phone number and my wife's phone number. And if any of you need anything, please feel free to call me anytime. I, I'm really struggling with the idea of being in Helena and trying to pastor a church up here. I want to be here. I really want to be here. Um, and, and you know, I want to meet some of the people that haven't been able to get back here and who are having health issues. I'd really like to go sit down with them and just at least pray with them and, and get to know everybody that's part of this church family, whether they're here or not right now. So ideally, uh, uh, so I want you to have my phone number, and if you have any issues, uh, you need some prayer, anything that's going on, please. That's what my, you can text me. You, I, I, I respond to texts, um, and if you're not a texture, that's okay. Just call. Uh, if, if, if I can't answer at that moment, go ahead and leave me a voicemail. I will call you back. So... I uh, would love to hear from you and stuff during the week, and if there's anything I can be praying for or, or do for you, please let me know. Um, this morning, uh, you'll notice if you were here at Sunday School, we didn't take up an offering this morning uh, at Sunday School. I'm trying to shorten a few things at the Sunday School so we have a little more time for our study, uh, and wouldn't you know it, Big Mouth went too long today anyway. So... Uh, but we really had a good, I think we, it was a really good study, and I know I was enjoying it because I just kept blabbing. So um, I didn't get the 15 minutes, but I gave you a five-minute break between services. So we, uh, we went a little over. Uh, so even with extra time, I go, I'm but going long. But uh, So if you're going to give, uh, you know, we mentioned it to the Sunday school, but we're going to be doing that for a little while. The, the, we'll do the main service. We'll have an offertory. Um, please, if you give your offering, if you do your tithes and, and, uh, 
and your missions on the same check, please designate that on the check or on the envelope so the counters know where to put that money. If, if it's not designated, it'll all end up in the general fund as a tithe. Um, and we, you know, and, and you'd be like, hey, I've been given to missions. Well, you know, you've got to designate that. So please help us out there by doing that. Um, and then um, the last thing I wanted to talk about here is um, uh, Erica Ray and, and uh, Sherry, they, they, they've, they want to do a thing called uh, Secret Big Sister. And I guess it uh, uh, used to be Secret Sisters, but the Secret Big Sister, they want to um, get together the ladies of the church, uh, I guess draw a name or something of one of the kids in the church and have an opportunity to do like a secret gift I don't know all the details, so I'm going to uh, recommend that any one of you who's interested in being a part of this, it's going to kind of be a children's ministry thing. If you would be interested in that, please see Erica, Sherry, or you can see my wife in the fellowship hall after the main service today. Uh, we'd love to see people get involved with this and, and just really be a blessing to the children in this church. Uh, it is my desire to see our children's ministry grow. I want to see a, a thriving, I, I was a youth leader for a lot of years, for over 10 years I worked with teens. I want to see a thriving teen group in this church. I want to see a thriving Sunday school uh, with kids and we're going to, and with that, with thriving comes needs, Sunday school teachers, nursery workers, teen leaders. So be praying about these things, please. And um, so if you're interested in uh, a secret, uh, to being one of the secret big sisters, Please see one of those three ladies, um, and, and uh, they'll get you up to speed on all that. At that time, we'll, we'll have the men come forward for our offering. They'll come forward, and uh, we'll take up this morning's offering. Randy, would you like to open in prayer? Before I pray, I'd like to ask uh, that we keep the guarding family in our prayers. Uh, <laughs> anyways, that they're, um, they're probably tomorrow, I believe, going to be today. They'll be, um, Brother Rob fell off the catwalk uh, at Napa and lit on his head on the concrete, and, and they're going to be... Um, removing him off a of life support today. So keep the guarding family in prayer. Father in heaven, Lord, uh, we know that, that all good things come from you, Lord. And, and Father, you are the great physician that things happen, Lord. We know not the hour or the minute, Lord, when uh, you will say, come up hither. Lord, I do just pray for the guarding family right now. I pray for comfort, ease of pain, Lord. And, Father, that, uh, uh, that this would work to draw the family members that know you not to yourself. And, Lord, that many would come to know you as Savior. Uh, you can use all situations, Lord, in your glory. Father, I pray as we take up these offerings, Lord, that you would just uh, multiply these monies. And, Lord, that you would bless the giver. And we're going to thank you ahead of time for uh, what you're going to do today. And, Lord, I just pray all these things in the sweet and precious in the wonderful name of Jesus, amen.
points will go the extra mile. Just like a mother caring for her child, a friend who'll stand through thick and thin. No matter what you've done or where you've been, just like one great big family, a stronger older brother he will be, so quick and ready to defend the younger weaker to the end, and he's ever interceding to the Father for his children. Yes, he's ever interceding to the Father for his own. Through him you can reach the Father. So bring him all your heavy burdens. Yes, for you he's interceding. So come boldly to the throne. Just like sheep we've gone astray. Struggling beneath a debt we could not pay, not ever hoping to renew the love and fellowship that we once knew. But he began to intercede, crying, Father, please forgive. I bleed, and as the nails pierced in his hands, God once again reached out to man, and he's ever interceding to the Father for his children, yes, he's ever interceding to the Father for his own. Through him you can reach the Father, so bring him all your heavy burdens. Yes, for you he's interceding, so come So come boldly to the throne. Awesome. Very good. So uh, at this time we'll dismiss all the children for Children's Church. Again, uh, we do have a handout this morning uh, for the service, uh, for the message this morning. So if you didn't get one, uh, if you want to raise your hand, we'll have our ushers or somebody can bring you a, a handout. should have been with the bulletin, inside the bulletin this morning. Um, you'll notice that we will be in Psalm 114, Psalms 114 this morning. Now, uh, I know a lot of people typically would preach a Thanksgiving message right before Thanksgiving. Um, but with us having our Thanksgiving fellowship, I'm going to be bringing a devotion. I'm going to bring a Thanksgiving message next week uh, to encourage us that Thanksgiving isn't just one time a year. It's something we should be doing all year. Uh, and so uh, I want to bring a Thanksgiving message uh, immediately following Thanksgiving uh, to kind of encourage us to continue in our Thanksgiving. So this morning we'll be in Psalm 114 uh, in a message I've titled, Is He Worthy? Is He Worthy? So... Um, 
And uh, before we get into the, the text this morning, let's go ahead and open in a word of prayer before we preach. And the Heavenly Father, Lord in heaven, just again, thank you for this opportunity to preach your word, uh, to be able to, uh, to share with others what you've given us, Father, to be able to be used as a tool in your tool belt, Father. I pray that I would be uh, a well-used tool dirty and marked up and beat up and used for your honor and your glory, Father. I'm thankful that you've called me to be able to preach your word, and I'm thankful that I can uh, share with others what you have taught me through my studies. And, and Father, I pray now that you will be honored and glorified through the preaching this morning. Again, that you will uh, be the one that's edified. Father, this is your word, not mine. We thank you for the psalmist who wrote this psalm, Father, and we're thankful uh, for the truth of your word and what we can gain from it. And I pray now that we will apply it to our hearts. And each and every one of us will strive to be doers of your word, not hearers only. We ask it now in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you would, turn your Bibles to Psalm 114, if you haven't already turned there. Psalm chapter 114. It's just, uh, it's just eight verses, but uh, and we're going to go through the, the entire psalm, so... Follow along as I read. The Bible says, When Israel went out of Egypt, the house of Jacob, from a people of strange language, Judah was his sanctuary and Israel his dominion. The sea saw it and fled. Jordan was driven back. The mountains skipped like rams and the little hills like lambs. What ailed thee, O thou sea, that thou fleddest? Thou Jordan, that thou wast driven back, ye mountains, that ye skipped like rams, and ye little hills like lambs. Tremble, thou earth, at the presence of the Lord, at the presence of the God of Jacob, which turned the rock into, standing wa into a standing water, the flint into a fountain of waters. So I want you to see Psalm 114 this morning. Seems a little confusing, but it's... It's focusing on the reverence that we should have for our God. Psalm 114 shows us how we are to reverence our God. This passage, uh, from my studies, and when trying to dig, I, I was looking for a passage when, when this study came about, when I got this, uh, when God put this on my heart, of uh, I wanted to preach on something that spoke about both, uh, uh, both the... Uh, the Red Sea crossing and the Jordan crossing. And so what we see here is that the Red Sea and the, and the Jordan River are actually spoken of in this, in this passage, Psalm 114. And I believe it's, it's the only one that mentions both in, uh, in a single passage. So uh, we have here in Psalm 114, the, it mentions both of these. And what I want you to see is, uh, as we go through this this morning, I want you to be focused on the similarities of how God was working with the nation of Israel in these two, in these two moments, in, in the time of the Exodus, crossing the Red Sea, and in their time of conquest as they crossed the Jordan River. And so uh, be mindful of how, uh, how similar that is to us called Christians. Uh, I want you to be looking at that. So as we see here in Psalm 114, I wanted to share, and the Bible Knowledge Commentary says about this psalm, this psalm celebrates the deliverance of God's people at the Exodus, a fitting song to be sung at Passover, which was instituted at that time. The psalmist recalled how the sea fled and the mountains trembled when Israel escaped from Egypt. In a bold poetic stroke, he interrogated the mountains and the sea concerning their reaction and then called on the earth to tremble at the presence of the Lord who brought water from the rock. Uh, another commentary adds that this song is a history lesson. God does not want us to forget the lessons of history. The Jews always regarded their deliverance from Egypt as the greatest fact in history. And God would have us as believers, as, as, as Christians, to recall Calvary in the same way. <clears throat> this is a psalm about reverence to our God. So what is reverence? Webster's Dictionary of 1828 defines reverence like this. It said, it is fear mingled with respect and esteem. Fear mingled with respect and esteem. And an act of respect or obedience or, or obeisance. 
a bow or courtesy. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, a great verse that, that demonstrates, that illustrates uh, reverence. We see it here in 2 Samuel 9, verse 6. 2 Samuel 9, 6 says, Now when Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, was come unto David, he fell on his face and did reverence. And David said, Mephibosheth, and he answered, Behold thy servant. We see Mephibosheth is the son of, of Jonathan. And David at this point says, Look, um, are any of Jonathan's family still alive? This is after Jonathan and Saul have been killed in battle. And David is now the king. And he made a promise to Jonathan to take care of Jonathan's family. And, he said, and somebody comes and says, Yes, yes, he's got a son named Mephibosheth. Well, bring him to me. Look at what he does. He reverences King David to the point that he says, when he says, the, the king says, Mephibosheth, and he answered, Behold thy servant. Now my question to you is, is our king worthy of that type of reverence? Is Jesus worthy of, when we read his word, do we say, as we read through the scriptures, do we say, Behold thy servant. I will obey your word, Lord. Is he worthy of that type of reverence? Psalm 114, what the Lord has done for Israel should prompt all the earth to worship him joyfully. The Lord's past interventions for his people in the exodus, the wilderness, and the conquest, that conquest being the crossing of the Jordan River, should cause all humans to revere him and to rejoice before him. We can look back on Jewish history and see the power of our God, and we should rejoice in that. Uh, it should bring us to our knees in reverence to a God who is holy and powerful and just, never changing, never changing. What he did for the Jews is no different than what he does for us today. He's a holy God. January 26, 2001 is my spiritual birthday. That's when I got saved. That's when I, I trusted Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I spent 30 years of my life uh, living a horrible lifestyle. Uh, living separated from God. Doomed to an eternity in hell. Before I had my exodus. Before I crossed the Red Sea and was delivered. I then spent the next few years, after I got saved, wandering in the wilderness. Before eventually surrendering to serve God with my life. How did I get here? What led me to choosing to surrender my life to God? As I ask these questions of myself, I want you to be asking the very same questions of yourself as we go through this message this morning. I want to walk through Psalm 114 to show you how God works with the nation of Israel to lead and guide them and how similar it is to how God is working in our lives today. We will look at how, he how this applies to us and the response it should invoke in each and every one of us. All the while asking yourself, is he worthy? Is he worthy? And the first thing we want to look at this morning is the Red Sea Crossing. The Red Sea crossing. This is in verses 1 through 3. Verses 1 through 3. Uh, it says, When Israel went out of Egypt, the house of Jacob, from a people of a strange language, Judah was his sanctuary and Israel his dominion. The sea saw it and fled. See, what we see is this is the exodus. Uh, the, the Jews, uh, the, the Hebrew people, are delivered out of the land of Egypt, Egypt a people of a different language of them, right? Uh, a strange language. And what happens is God says, look, I'm delivering you, and you are my people. I have chosen you, and I will dwell with you. You are my sanctuary. What happens when they leave? Uh, did God depart from them? No. He was with them the entire time as a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. He was with them. I mean, I'm thinking the Red Sea is pretty cool, but that pillar of fire at night has got to be pretty awesome. But God is with them uh, in, in this time. Uh, after hundreds of years of slavery to the Egyptians, God uses Moses to deliver them from their servitude. Egypt is a picture of the world to us today, and we are delivered from our worldly behavior when we trust Christ as our Savior. 
That's when we have our exodus. We see the exodus in uh, Exodus 14, verses 15 and 16, when God commands, And the Lord said unto Moses, Wherefore criest thou unto me, Speak unto the children of Israel, that they go forward. But lift thou up thy rod, and stretch out thine hand over the sea, and divide it. And the children of Israel shall go on dry ground through the midst of the sea. <clears throat> when we look at this passage right here, this Exodus 14, verses 15 and 16, I want you to see three truths that come out of this passage. There are three truths. And the first one is that salvation is one way. Uh, the nation of Israel had to cross the Red Sea, but we must trust Jesus Christ. Salvation is one way. Let me set the stage here. Uh, the nation of Israel has been delivered. Uh, they're brought out. Uh, Moses has them encamped along the Red Sea. Everything seems grand right now because, you know what, we're no longer in slavery. This is pretty cool. And then somebody turns around and looks and sees a cloud of dust. No, not a pillar of cloud. A cloud of dust rising in the distance. And then it dawns on them. Pharaoh's coming. Pharaoh believes he's... He, Pharaoh realizes, I made a mistake. Uh, uh, who's going to build all my pyramids now? Who's going to, to, uh, to do all the hard work? I can't ask my people to do all this. That's what we had them for. And, and, and so he's decided he's coming to re-enslave the Hebrew people. And they see this fear. And what does God do? God gets between Pharaoh and his people. And he gives this command to Moses and tells Moses to lift the rod out across the Red Sea his, and, and the seas part. And, and the Hebrew people have their way of deliverance. It's one way. It's Here it is. It's parted. I can either go this way or I can turn around and face Pharaoh. Seems pretty obvious in that day, but why is it so hard for people today to go, I can have heaven or hell? Because we don't see hell. They could see Pharaoh coming. Sometimes I wish people could see hell. They can if they get into Scripture. God speaks more about hell than He does about heaven. Salvation is one way. There's one way of deliverance. John 14, 6 says, Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. Acts 4, 12 says, Neither is there salvation in any other for there is none other name given, among, uh, given under heaven among men whereby, I must, whereby you must be saved. That name is the name of Jesus Christ. You are saved by Christ and Christ alone. Many people today want to add to salvation. They want to say that there's multiple paths to heaven. You can go out and listen to Hollywood. They'll tell you. I mean, they're so smart anyways. I mean, Oprah knows everything. Go ask her. She'll tell you there's multiple ways to get to heaven. Many people today will, will tell us these things. But try to tell that to the nation of Israel when Pharaoh's right at their heels. I don't think anybody at that time was thinking, I wonder if there's another way. I think they all thought, this looks like a pretty good route. I think I'll take it. The sad thing is, this isn't the only time or the only picture of salvation we see in Scripture. God shows us another one when He destroys the entire world, all living life on the world, earth. But He allows Noah to create an ark. You know the neat thing about the ark? It had one door. Only one door on the entire ark. How many of us on our house have just one door to our house? No, we have multiple doors, but not the ark. It had one door, one way in, one way of salvation. Was it not uh, Jesus who said in John 10, verse 9, I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. Salvation is one way. I love what one person once said. They said, there are no exits in hell and there is only one door into heaven. Seems pretty obvious to me. I like the idea of going to heaven. There are no exits in hell. Salvation is not only one way, but it's also simple. It's really simple. Imagine crossing a body of water after the water has been emptied 
uh, can you imagine the Red Sea has been there a long time, right? And all of a sudden, God parts the waters. You can imagine what that ground would be like, saturated with that amount of water for so many years. You ever tried to walk in the mud? It's not easy. I remember one time when I was out hunting, uh, I had my little five-year-old daughter Ashley with me, and we were out hunting on the eastern side of the state. Uh, George will identify with this. Uh, when you get out there and it's muddy, it's not fun to walk in. It is, it is, uh, it, it's, you know, it's not fun to drive in. It's like, it's really slick to drive in. And then, and, and the mud just packs up on your, in your vehicle, on your feet. When we're walking, man, I'm just, before you know it, I'm on platform shoes. You got like eight inches of mud and you're constantly having to kick your boots, you know, as hard as you can to get all that mud off. And I remember Ashley, little five-year-old Ashley was watching dad and she's like, oh, dad, he's kicking the mud off. Unfortunately, Ashley was wearing uh, moon boots. If you remember the little moon boots, and for a little five-year-old's foot, the first time she gave that kick, the whole boot and sock went flying across the field. You know, and she's standing on one foot, and, uh, Dad, Daddy, you know, and I'm like, oh, hey. So it's not easy to walk in the mud. But look, look what it says here in our passage. Uh, you know, it wasn't hard for the Israelites to cross. Because verse 16 says, and the children of Israel shall go on dry ground. Part of the miracle is, it wasn't saturated mud that they had to walk through. It was dry ground. God gave them dry ground. And it's no different for us. How hard is salvation? Romans 10, 13 says, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That sounds pretty simple to me. In fact, it was so simple, that's exactly what I asked my pastor because that's the very verse that led me to trust in Christ. When my pastor, after over an hour of explaining and, and going through passages and passages, he should have started here. <laughs> because he read that to me and I looked right at him and I said, you're telling me it's that easy, it's that simple. Because uh, Brother Jim here was looking for the hard way to get to heaven. I figured there, it had to be a lot harder. I, I thought I had a lot more to do. And he said, no, just trust Christ. Trust Christ. Repent of your sin and trust that he, he can save you from your sin. And lastly, I want you to see that salvation leads to spirit baptism. Look at verse 2. Judah was his sanctuary and Israel his dominion. So what happened was I got saved that day and immediately upon my profession of faith in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit indwelt me. I became baptized in the Spirit. And, Jesus, uh, and the Holy Spirit took up residence in me. Daniel Estes states about this verse that we just read. The Exodus was far more than just a liberation of the Israelites from Egyptian bondage. It was fundamentally about the establishment of the Lord's rule and presence on earth. The Lord did not deliver Israel so that it would be autonomous, but so that it could become His sanctuary. He didn't deliver them so they could go off and be their own thing and, and do their own thing. He delivered them. He became their sanctuary. He was a pillar of cloud by day, a pillar of fire by night. Eventually, they ended up building a tabernacle upon which he took a residence in. And every time they went somewhere, they took that tabernacle with them. God was with them the entire time until eventually Solomon built a temple worthy of our God. And upon that point, God took up residence in the temple when it was completed. God was with the Israelites the entire time during their exodus. He was now letting them know He would be remaining with them. In Exodus 19, verses 5 and 6, Now therefore, if ye will obey My voice indeed, and keep My covenant, then ye shall be a peculiar treasure unto Me above all people. For all the earth is mine, and ye shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and an holy nation. These are the words which thou shalt speak to the children of Israel. God wanted the nation of Israel to know, I am with you forever. I, uh, you are a special people that I have chosen you out. But you are chosen for a task. The, the Jews got prideful and God became their God. But God wanted to be the world's God. It was their job to... They had the privilege of telling the rest of the world about God. It's a privilege. Now, how is that similar to us? Well, 
listen, if, if you don't catch this, 1 Peter 2, verse 9, look at the similarities. This, in 1 Peter 2, 9, now God is speaking to Christians. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of Him who hath called you out of darkness into a marvelous light. Look, people, we are not supposed to be autonomous. We are autonomous in that we don't answer to other churches. We answer to Jesus Christ. But we're not to be autonomous in our faith. We're to be sharing our faith. We're autonomous in our church government and, and, and that we do report directly to Jesus Christ. But we are to be sharing the truth. Why? It says, show forth our praises of Him. We should be telling people and praising Jesus Christ. Why? Because He called us out of darkness into a marvelous light. Because we have eternal security, eternal salvation in heaven. Why would we not tell people about that? And when we are saved, here's the cool thing. We become the temple of God. The temple's gone. It's been destroyed. And it doesn't matter if the Jews build it up again. God's not taking up residence there because He's already right here. And He's in you. If you've trusted Christ, you become the temple of the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 6.19 says, What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? Understand, this is vital for us if we're going to move on to the next crossing. You must trust Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You must have the Holy Spirit indwelling in you if you're ever going to cross the Jordan River. If you're ever going to cross, and that's our second point, the Jordan River crossing. We see this in verse 5. What ailed thee, O thou sea, that thou fleddest, thou Jordan, that thou wast driven back? We're talking about the Jordan River crossing. What is the Jordan River crossing? This is a picture of sanctification. The Red Sea, salvation. Jordan River, sanctification. This verse points to creation recognizing and obeying the will of God. <coughs> God wants us to be more like Jesus, and this is accomplished through sanctification. We as God's pinnacle creation should be as obedient to God as all the rest of creation. After the crossing of the Red Sea, what happened? What happened to the nation of Israel? Well, they wandered the wilderness for 40 years. I give you a, a big chunk of scripture here. Um, you can read through that on your own. I'm just going to quickly give a recap. What happened? Moses, they come to the Jordan River. Moses sends out ten spies into the land. Two come back saying, uh, we know it's Joshua and Caleb. Hey, let's go. God is with us. And if God is with us, who can be against us? It doesn't matter what's out there. We can take it. And what do the ten do? They come back with an evil report. Uh, I don't think so. There are giants in the land. Uh, they have walled cities. So we will never get in. We, and and the, the numbers are immense. We'll never defeat them. We, we can't. We can't do it. What happens? Due to a lack of faith, their lack of obedience, the nation of Israel wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. And prior to this passage, what's amazing is uh, these guys, these spies, when they're out there, also came back with reports of, oh, yeah, man, we, we carried, it took two men to, with a pole between shoulders to carry one cluster of grapes. One cluster of grapes was so heavy. Can you imagine the size of those grapes on one cluster that they had to carry it with a pole between two men? Uh, it was reported, it, it was described as a land flowing with milk and honey. Why would they not want to go? Because of their lack of faith. See, we have two options after we get saved. And the first option that we're just kind of talking about right now is wandering in the wilderness. We wander in the wilderness. This is self-serving. It shows a total lack of faith in God. See, there is no faith in God when we become the central focus. If all we're thinking about is us, ourself, we're never going to have faith in God. And that leads to disobedience and rebellion. What happens is we get saved... And then we have that whole idea that, oh, well, I've punched my ticket, I'm going to heaven, so I can do whatever I want. And we continue in our sin. We continue in our sin. Understand that God is a loving God, but His love is not, blind, it's not a blind love that overlooks our sins and transgressions. Just because you may be going through the motions by coming to church on Sunday, no amount of church attendance, giving, singing, or anything else that we do for God makes up for the sin in our lives. And ultimately, when we're 
disobedient rebellion, that leads to what? Murmurings and disputings. That's when the murmuring begins. That's when we start uh, talking about God or talking about godly people. We complain. Uh, what was happening in the wilderness? Oh, man, he brought us out to the wilderness to perish. There's no water. What's God do? He brings water from a rock. Well, now we're going to starve to death, God. We got nothing. There's nothing out here. What's he do? He provides manna every day. Oh, man, I'm so tired of manna, God. I'd like some flesh. Okay, I'll give you some, uh, some quail. Every time, God, you know, and, and, and the whole time God's thinking to himself, dudes, if you just would have crossed the Jordan River, you could have had everything in abundance. And what do we do as Christians? We get saved. We continue in our sin. We continue. We're like the prodigal son wallowing with the pigs. And all we got to do is go to the Father, cross the Jordan River, and we can have victorious Christian living. So what do we need to do? We need to wade across the Jordan River. We need to wade across the Jordan River. Again, two more hefty passages here for the sake of time. Uh, I will just, uh, you can read them to verify what I'm saying is true, but ultimately God had come to the point that a whole generation had to go away. The only two people allowed to cross the Jordan River from that generation were the two faithful spies, Caleb and Joshua, even Moses, did not cross the Jordan River due to his disobedience. So what happens is uh, they get to this point. Everyone's died. It's time. Joshua's now the leader. Moses has died. Moses is gone. We're going to cross the Jordan River. And God tells him, when you get to the river, which is overflowing because it's at flood stage, it's in the springtime. And you, many of us know, you've seen some of the rivers at springtime. They're flowing fast. They're over, over the banks. Uh, not a lot of people want to swim across a river at that point, right? I know I don't. I can't swim good enough to swim across a kiddie pool. So, But a raging river like that. And he says, I want, the, I want the priest to carry the ark. But you will not see that river part until you step into the water. You've got to get your feet wet. You need to get in the water. And then, of course, the next passages I gave you there, that's what we see. They step into the water, and the, the verses tell us that the river parted for them. See, what's the difference between the Red Sea crossing and this one? Well, they had to get their feet wet. In the last one, Moses just lifted up the, the rod, and God parted the sea and gave them deliverance for salvation. Uh, salvation is simple. Sorry, sanctification isn't. You've got to step out in faith. And by faith, you've got to do the things that God wants you to do. They had to get their feet wet by stepping in an overflowing river before they could see. But here's the thing. If you will just step out in faith and obey God's word, you will see his promises come to fruition. We don't do it, and therefore we don't see it. And then we don't have faith in our God. But if we would just obey him and do what he says, what do you mean you want me to give that much? I don't have that much money in my bank account. I, what, are you, what are you talking about? You can't outgive God. What, what do you mean? You, uh, you know, what, whether it's your health issues or, or whatever you're going through, are you trusting in God to get you through it? Or are you obeying God in how he wants you to handle whatever it might be, your finances, whatever it might be in your relationships, um, whatever it is, are you being faithful to him? Because here, uh, what is victorious Christian living? For us to have it, we have to be obedient and, and, uh, to God. And let him lead us. Uh, so what is victorious Christian living? Alan Redpath says this. He says, The greatest need of the Christian church is a revival of the New Testament standard of living. There seems to be a wide gulf between what we believe and how we live. That's the truth. <coughs> a marked contrast between our position in Christ and our actual experience. Too often we claim to believe our Bible from cover to cover, but we fail to live out the truth, its truth in daily conduct. See, that's victorious Christian living. Believing the Bible from cover to cover and then living out those truths. It is a relationship with Jesus Christ. We don't please God with outward forms of religious activity. That's what the Pharisees did. They looked uh, holy. But God, what did he say? What Jesus said, 
You're full of dead men's bones. You look like whited sepulchers. You're beautiful on the outside, but you're full of dead men's bones. There, that's that whole heart thing. This leads to spiritual growth. So, so far we've looked at uh, these two crossings, the, the Red Sea crossing, salvation, the Jordan River crossing, sanctification. And the last thing I want you to see is what our response should be. What our response should be because of these crossings. Look at verse uh, um, 7 and 8. Tremble thou earth at the presence of the Lord, at the presence of the God of Jacob, which turned the rock into a standing water, the flint into a fountain of waters. <coughs> I want you to see this is a picture of servitude. It's a picture of servitude. Although humans in both Egypt and Canaan resisted the Lord, the natural world was subservient to its sovereign and responded eagerly to do his bidding. All human beings are called to serve the Lord with gladness. Serve the Lord with gladness. Perfect example of this we see in 1 Samuel 12, verse 24. Verses, only fear the Lord and serve him in truth with all your heart. For consider how great things he hath done for you. We can see three commands in this passage. Three commands. The first, fear the Lord. Fear the Lord, Proverbs 9 and 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the holy is understanding. Remember at the, at the beginning, I, I defined reverence as fear mingled with respect. Fear mingled with respect. We need to have a reverential fear. Uh, growing up in my home, I had a reverential fear of my mother. Uh, my mom said, do it, you did it. Because she often reminded me, son, you, you just remember... I brought you into this world, and you can bet I'm the one who can take you out. And I've learned that ultimately, while I fear my mom, I should fear the Lord even more. Matthew 10, verse 28 says, And fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. My mom could have ended my life for my disobedience, but she was never going to have control over my soul. God only has that. And that's what we should fear. Where is our soul going to be? The next thing is we need to serve the Lord with all your heart. Serve the Lord with all your heart. Romans 12.1, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God. Why? Because it is your reasonable service. Because it is your reasonable service. Everything we do should be done for the glory of God. Whatever it is we're doing, if it's our jobs, if it's with our families, if it's here at the church, if it's representing Jesus Christ in the world, it should be done to the glory of God. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 31 says, Whether therefore ye eat or drink or whatsoever ye do, do it all to the glory of God. John Owen says, God has work to do in this world and to desert it because of its difficulties and entanglements is to cast off his authority. Universal holiness is required for, of us that we may do the will of God in our generation. <clears throat> it is not enough that we be just, that we be righteous and walk with God in holiness, but we must also serve our generation as David did before he fell asleep. God has a work to do and not to help him is to oppose him. Let me say that again. And not to help him is to oppose him. Even at the beginning of this verse, he said, God has work to do in the world and to desert, uh, desert it because of its difficulties and entanglements is to cast off his authority. See, God has called me to take this church. God called me to come up here and take Galilee Baptist Church. Yet, my house hasn't sold. I still live in East Helena, Montana. I'm having to drive two and a half hours to be here on Sundays to stay a few days. Then I have to go home and take care of my house and, and, and deal with the things back there while trying to pastor up here. This is where I want to be. It's difficult. Uh, are there a few entanglements? Absolutely. But to give up on my God? If this is where he wants me, I think I can suffer through a little bit. This is evidently is my thorn in the flesh for a little while until the house sells and until we can find a place up here. 
but God has opened doors and, and made things available for us to show us clearly this is where he wants me. And so I, can't not, I cannot cast that off. I cannot do that. Uh, because then I would be opposing him. What I would be doing is just simply opposing him, putting this church in a bad place. Matthew 12, 30 says, He that is not with me is against me, and he that gathereth not with me scattereth abroad. The point here is that Christ leaves no room for neutral ground. If people cannot accept his teaching and work, they are in danger of God's judgment. If you're not serving God, you are opposing him. It's that simple. If you're not serving him, you're in opposition to him. That's not a good place to be. And the last thing we need to see here is we need to consider the Lord. For consider how great things He hath done for you. Is it not reasonable to do this for Him, considering what He's already done for us? He goes, Jesus goes to the cross of Calvary, and, and we often focus on the cross, but even getting to the cross. As a man of my own, I'm thinking, man, if I was asked to do that, the first time that whip would have went across my back, I'd have been like, I'm done. I can't do this. That's why Jesus had to. That's why Jesus had to. And when we consider what it is that he went through for us, should it not draw us? Is he not worthy of our service? Verse 7 and 8, you know, as we just read those verses, this is where the focus is. If, if the natural world is commanded to tremble at God's presence for what He has done, how much more should we? We should, not be, we should stand in awe of God's power as we consider that He provided water to His people from a rock. That should provoke us to worship Him, and serving Him is a form of worship. When we serve Him, it is a form of worship. He is worthy of this. He is absolutely worthy of this. But what, but what can I possibly do for God? What can I do? That's often the time, you know, we get into church, you know, and I've heard people, well, I'm too young to do anything for God. I'm too old to do anything for God. Well, what's been going on in between? Uh, my take is, if you're breathing, God can use you. I like what D.L. Moody once wrote. He, he wrote the following words that I'm about to read you, next to the verse, Isaiah 6, 8, in his Bible. He said, I am only one, but I am one. I cannot do everything, but I can do something. What I can do, I ought to do, and what I ought to do, by the grace of God, I will do. Isaiah 6, 8 says this, Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then said I, Here am I, send me. D.L. Moody led a lot of people to the Lord. I can't imagine what would have happened if D.L. Moody wouldn't have been obedient to serving God. How many souls would not have been saved? What can I do in the church? What can I do? The needs of the local church are many. Again, you can't do everything, but you can do something. There's needs for deacons, trustees, ushers, greeters, Sunday school teachers, children's church teachers, uh, someday, I'd love to see a teen, teen group thriving here. We're going to need teen leaders. We need nursery workers. How about simply just faithful attendance to church? Being faithful is a form of worship, is, is a form of servitude to God because He wants us to not forsake the assembling of ourselves together, as some are. We are to come together. Faithful attendance in church, to Sunday school, to the prayer meetings, how about building maintenance? Uh, the building needs work. It needs to be cleaned. You guys do an amazing job with that. The bookstore, another, maybe there's a need there. We, we, uh, we could help out. Somebody else, we could have multiple people working in the bookstore. Ultimately, we need outreach and discipleship. I'm not an outreach only guy. I'm an outreach and discipleship guy. We lead them to the Lord, and then we get them in here and we disciple them. Because then we have more people who want to serve. Many hands make light work. Ultimately, there are two options on the shelf, serving God or serving self. And I shared last week, I, I think I said this very same thing. There are two types of people in every church. The, the, the churches are filled with willing people, I'm sorry. The church is filled with willing people. Those willing to serve and those willing to let them. Which one are you? Which one are you? So as you consider this morning's sermon, 
Where are you at in the big picture? Are you still waiting to cross the Red Sea? Then let this day be your day of salvation. Are you still wandering the wilderness due to a lack of faith? Then it's time to get your feet wet and cross over the River Jordan. Maybe you have crossed over the Jordan and uh, you're doing your best to live for God, but regardless of where you are, we must ask ourselves, is He worthy of our praise? Is He worthy of our worship? Is He worthy of our service? I want to close this service out real quickly with a, a video. Um, as you watch the video, I want you to pay close attention. The video is uh, of our West Coast Baptist College choir. Uh, these kids, I actually went to school with these kids. This, this only happened a few years ago. They put this together. They're in a practice session. They're there for practice. So they're not all dressed up. It's not like a formal thing. But what I want you to pay attention as you watch this video is I want you to watch these kids. I want you to see the smiles on their faces. I want you to, these kids are at a college. West Coast Baptist College exists for one reason and one reason only, to train laborers for the harvest. It is a ministry school only. You don't go there to learn nursing. You don't go there to learn uh, criminal justice. You go there to learn ministry. And these kids, young kids, with the smiles on their faces, excited about serving God with their lives. So enjoy the video.
God doesn't care if you're mad and angry. He wants you to talk to him.
Is he worthy? He is. He is. And I was excited. What I enjoyed about this video is the fact that these kids are, are the future. Uh, they're coming up. Uh, a lot of those young men are going to be preachers. I, went, I preached with a lot of them. And uh, super excited to see that there are people coming up from behind preparing to serve the Lord with their lives. Uh, the numbers are dwindling, but I'm thankful there's still more men and women who want to serve and want to serve with a smile. They love the Lord that much. Now, is he worthy of this church in service to him, in service with a smile? So with every head bowed and every eye closed, I just want to have a quick moment of invitation. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Uh, go ahead and just stay seated.